world of gods and monsters welcome back to the essential films podcast the podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the essential films i'm adolfo costa and i am joined by my tag team partner mr mark espinoza how have you been my friend uh can't complain i've been doing pretty well my friend how about you doing okay uh we're kind of right in the middle of the holidays right now where as we're recording it's uh early december um and uh last time we talked was before Halloween, I believe, and we're kind of doing our Halloween episode now, but whatever. Um, how was your, how was your, have your holidays been so far? How was Thanksgiving? Uh, pretty good. You know, we had some family over. Uh, we had the whole uh, turkey dinner as is tradition. So I can't really complain there. You know, my cousins were over. It kind of kept me up all night with the uh, Nintendo Switch uh, gimmick. So, um, uh-huh. so good times had by all. How about yours? pretty good um you know i had my mom visit uh you know so that was nice having my mom around and you know i cook the uh i do all the cooking on thanksgiving um i mean i do a little cooking in the house anyway in general but on thanksgiving is like i really i actually really like cooking like i know like in movies and stuff it's always portrayed as like this big ordeal and like super stressful and like i don't find it stressful at all like and i cook everything like every plate uh i i it's like very zen for me like i'm very it's like i'm very calm throughout the whole process it's like a it's like a meditative thing for me to cook on thanksgiving oh so it's like you're in the zone yeah kind of yeah it's just like it's like i'm doing good it's like kind of like the kind of the official start of the holidays you know and like get i'm in a good mood i'm going to be eating all this food in a few hours it's all going to be good so like you know i'm just, i was just i'm always like in a nice groove on thanksgiving you were talking about that. It reminded me of soul, like when all those, the, the spirits are in the zone and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. I was in the zone. It's totally. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's like my true purpose in life, <laughs> but I do love Thanksgiving. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it turned from like a holiday when I was a kid that was like, yeah, whatever. It's a day off. I ate some turkey to like, I just truly love Thanksgiving. It's like one of my favorites. It's like my second favorite. Um, 
let me ask you this what uh what what are your everyone has a turkey what are your side dishes that like are traditional in your family that you like all right so they we switch it up every so often um this year we had the uh, arroz con gandules which we nice. pretty much always have that but um sometimes we know we'll do white rice but i strongly prefer arroz con gandules but uh, we also had some uh, macaroni salad we had the slices of cranberry we had stuffing we had uh, a salad <laughs> just sorry i just really used the slices of cranberry you're talking about the like gel like the gelatin stuff yes yes <laughs> because they, some people like it like the um the uh, the, the gooey uh cranberry there's also mm -hmm. that type like the but no this is the actual slices of cranberry that's awesome so, yeah, and uh, sometimes we'll have asparagus, like um, some garlic asparagus. We didn't have that this year, but I know last year we did have that. Um, and uh, there's we, last year we had potato salad. This year we had macaroni salad. So we kind of switch up that stuff from from year to year. But uh, you know, overall, you know, I was uh, I pretty much took a nap right after. So yeah, that's that was me, dude. That's me on Thanksgiving Day. I cook all day, I gorge myself. And then I pass out on the couch and let, you know, and everyone yeah. else cleans up. I, I don't try to make everyone else clean up, but just like I just pass out and everyone cleans up while I'm sleeping. But at the end of the day, I also cooked all day. So, I mean, you know, um, yeah, we have yeah. Um, so the turkey, but we also have um, uh, what I make usually is mashed sweet potatoes with goat cheese. Um, I do empanadas. Uh, this year we I did beef and cheese and spinach artichoke and cheese, and then what else did I make? I made uh, bacon, Brussels sprouts, Ooh. and then your and then your standard gravy and stuffing. You know, that, yeah. I mean that stuff. I was like that stuff. I just get out of the box. I don't bother making my own stuffing. I don't bother making my own gravy because I'm making all this other stuff. Like that stuff can just come out of a jar or a box. I don't care about that. <laughs> you know, um, same with the cranberry sauce. The cranberry sauce. I got fancy this year. I got the Trader Joe's cranberry sauce, which is just like it's more like a like a like you ever have like strawberry preserves? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a jam with like chunks of fruit in it. Like that's how the cranberry sauce is like just kind of like a jam with like chunks of strawberry. That's pretty good. Um, sounds good. Uh, but and I generally don't like cranberry sauce, but that that stuff is pretty good. Um, and yeah, that's it. And my 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 in laws brought I think brought um, potato lockies uh and what else did they bring oh and the, and, and the green bean casserole which i don't really i know that's like everyone has green bean casserole i've never liked green bean casserole so i don't yeah really, not my thing but yeah um love thanksgiving um uh, then we were did you have any did you see any movies on thanksgiving did i watch any movies on thanksgiving i actually did not um i was distracted either by conversation or by video games so I actually didn't watch anything on Thanksgiving. I just watched the parade. I watched the World Cup, and that was pretty much it. Like I had the soccer on pretty much the whole day. Nice. Yeah. Um. I'm trying. Other than the traditional plane, trains, and automobile screening, I can't think of any. Uh, I'm the guy that watched anything else. Um. Are you gonna yeah. get that the 4K that came out with those deleted? Yeah, scenes? because I I really want to see those deleted scenes that have been like the, like those have been like rumored forever. Like people have been like talking about those deleted scenes for like a long time. And now they're finally out, you know, cause there was like a script people read like the un like the original script, which had all these scenes in it, yeah. uh, but nobody ever had ever actually seen the footage. So I really kind of want to see that footage and just want to have to own it. Um, I, I doubt that like 
the tr- the 4K is going to look better that much better than the, blue, than, yeah. the than the Blu-ray. But I really just I would buy it just for those extra features, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I am thinking about getting it when I when I have some more cash on hand. I am happy to announce that uh, we have our 4K set up in the basement officially. Nice. As of last month. As it was the end of uh, the end of November, I think we did. right before Thanksgiving, we got it all set up with the sound bar and everything. Um, I forget how many inches the TV is. I think it's at, it's like a sixty inch TV. Nice. Four um, K player, and uh, I'm excited. I just got a uh, during um, that weekend, the Black Friday weekend. I picked up uh, uh, Last Night in Soho in four K for ten bucks on Amazon, and it just came today in the mail. So nice. I'm excited to pop that back in and see the four K. You know, I would um, what I would recommend to you is um, look up the make and model of your TV, um, and like Google it. And there, you sh- if you Google that make and model, and you put like um, uh, I don't know, like basically like settings or something, yeah. you should get somebody like saying, okay, for the best like like settings for this particular TV, set your brightness to this, your contrast to this, your you know all that stuff. So I, I would look into that just so like you, when you get like you pop in the Blu-ray or the 4K for the first time, you you get like the best picture possible. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, now, one one thing that's traditional in November is the Criterion sale, the Barnes and Noble Criterion sale. Did you did you partake this year? For the first time, and probably like maybe the last six seven years, I did not. I bought nothing. Yeah, me neither. I wanted to. I wanted to so bad, but I was like, I really got to. I got to just put, pump the brakes on spending right now. But I, oh man, that I every time I got those emails, and you know how they send like they'll send another email like time's running out, only only twelve more hours. <laughs> I'm just like, damn it. I know. I kept getting the emails too. Like you know, you have like this. This is the last weekend. This is the last day. This is the last twelve hours. Like oh my god, nope, I can't do it. Not no. not this year. Uh, I really, they'll, really they'll see me on. again in July, but um, especially on some of the pre-orders that they had, you could because it counts towards pre-orders, right? So like, right, there were some on there that like, oh, like man. Wally. Oh uh, God, Wally! I wanted to get Wally so bad. Wally, uh, Romeo and Juliet, I think is up for pre-order now. And yeah, a couple other ones. Yeah, Ugh, that's it's a heartbreaker, man. Um, well, my money this year, unfortunately, did not go to Criterion, but it did go to my uh, normal hotspots of Vinegar Syndrome and Severin Films, which my Severin Films order uh, came in this week, which is probably the fastest I ever got their Black Friday package. Um, so I'm very excited to dive into a lot of those things. Um, I will tell you about one of the, the, the movies that's on there. Um, finally, 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 I can... Add this to my Dario Argento collection, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. I have all, I don't know what took this movie so long to come out, but it finally came out. Severin got the rights. They released it, and I think it's in 4K as well. So I cannot wait to put this bad boy on. It's probably going to be during my Christmas break. When I'm off from work, I'm going to just sit in the basement and just enjoy my uh, Argento goodness right there. Damn, I don't even think I've heard of that one. It's one of his, like, I think like his second or third movie. It's one of his early huh. ones. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not Dario Argento. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I'm not an expert on on Argento. I've seen his most famous stuff, but like, the yeah. the, the stuff, the deep cuts, I, I'm not aware. You know, I'm not familiar with. Right. It's interesting you say because, like, I just watched. You ever heard that uh, documentary series in Search of Darkness? Yes, I have. So I just watched the second one over Halloween, and they had like a segment in there about people just talking about why you know. 
these kind of documentaries are, and like historical like looks backs are so important is because a lot of a lot of those movies from the 80s there's so many movies from like the 80s and like the 70s that maybe got a VHS you know they got a VHS release and then nothing like they didn't get a DVD right. release or anything else so it's like it's even like I'm all for like these like boutique labels not even just Criterion Criterion's very artsy right but like like your Kino and your Scream Factory, your Vinegar Syndrome, you know, uh, those 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 boutique labels just like releasing like the most obscure stuff because it needs to be like if no one's putting it on streaming, right? Like how else are you gonna see it? Like exactly, you gotta like, you know, <laughs> you gotta preserve it. So like I'm glad that they're doing that. Yes, as am I. And um... like even if even it's even even if it's like complete shit. Like completely oh, it. it's the I'm fact so, that it's so preserved, that getting you know? preserved, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, I did get a, a one more thing from the uh, the severance sale, but it's going to tie into something that I bought from Vinegar Syndrome. Now, I think I mentioned this the last episode because it was right before Halloween. I think we did the last, uh, we did the From Here to Eternity. Um, that I was going to do that Dismember the Alamo marathon where it was mm-hmm. the mystery movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was able during the sale. I was able to purchase two of the four movies that I saw that day, and one of them, you got to look this up. It's a movie called Paganini Horror, which I can't, I can't describe without pretty much just bursting into laughter. Wow. But just if you're interested, look that movie up. It's, it's listen, Daria Nicolodi's in it. I love her so. But uh, and Donald Pleasance is in it for like a cup of coffee, but. Yeah, this movie's pretty out there, so definitely look into that. The other movie that I purchased from Vinegar Syndrome, actually, is called uh, Flesh Eater, which is essentially um, uh, Night of the Living Dead. I don't want to say ripoff, but it's kind of paying an homage to Night of the Living Dead. Um, it's from, uh, I think it's from the late 80s, early 90s, I think, this movie, but it's, uh, it was pretty good. It was the, uh, the final movie of the marathon, and I really enjoyed it, so I definitely... Pick this up. I think it's in 4K. This Vinegar Syndrome version. So that's the other thing. I love 4K releases for like the most like just pure garbage movies. <laughs> I love that. Like you have to see the garbage in complete 4K clarity. Yeah, there's a, a one of the movies we got that day. It was um shot on shitio, as I <laughs> as I heard uh, people call it. Um, it's a movie called Ozone. I can't even describe what this movie's about either because this is one of those like kind of wacky out there movies where you can tell all the whole budget went into the uh, the practical effects for like the gore and stuff. But it's um, it's interesting. I don't know if it, I think it was probably my least favorite, but it's an interesting movie. If you want to look, I there's no Wikipedia listing for you. I should go have to go on IMDb to actually look up anything about this movie. It's called Ozone. Ozone. So interesting. Okay. Um... That's funny. So speaking of the Alamo, we are finally like they're they are finally getting I think we talked about we are finally getting one in Chicago. Um and I it's getting really close because I just saw ads for like hiring. So Oh, here we go. Like they're hiring yep, it's like coming. I saw like in my job searches I saw like one for hiring projectionist for the for, for the Alamo, for the Alamo draft house. I was you like sh- You should apply for that. I did apply for it. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, hey man, first of all, beggars can't be choosers at this point. But also, like that'd be a fun job. Um, so yeah, so like they're no, hiring. No, no, the best part about that is that you, you're you're not a post eighty seven that would mess up the projector, especially with thirty five millimeter screens. You know what yeah. you're doing. 
Oh yeah. No, I told you what happened with Roma, right? When they tried to do the the, I think it was I think it was thirty five millimeter or whatever screening it was. The 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 post eighty seven projectionist messed it up. So like ten minutes into the movie, like it just stopped, and they ended up having to give us vouchers because of the interruption. So you don't want to cost the company money by fucking up the projector. It's it's funny because like in like the digital screening era, like when like where most most of them are digital projectors now. Um, like, like all your AMCs and, you know, all those are all digital projectors, right? Um, it's so funny that, like, a lot of people have never experienced that. Like, I remember growing up, they used to happen, like, one out of every time, uh, one out of every ten times you went to the movie, something got fucked up with the film at some point. You know, and they'd have to stop the movie, <laughs> the lights went up for, like, five minutes, and then they went down they'd, and they pursued. Like, so, like, so, like sometimes it, right. the movie would just stop, sometimes the sound would be out of sync, you know. <laughs> it's like, happened to me before. Uh, that, that stuff, I mean, sometimes, like, it wasn't completely focused right, and you'd see, like, like it was only, like, halfway on the screen, like... You don't have these problems nowadays, but like, it, I mean, it's good that we don't have those problems, right? But there is something kind of nostalgic about thinking back, like, uh, like when the film would like stop like halfway through the movie because someone fucked something up between reels. A slight correction: it was Romo was actually in seventy millimeter was that ah. screening. So there you go. So there you go. Um, but yeah, so hope you get that job. <laughs> That'll be, be wacky. Well, I mean, it, it, I'm I'm sure it wouldn't it wouldn't pay as much as I, I would need it to, but it, in the meantime, I would totally take it. Yeah, but uh, let me also tell you about a couple other uh, gems I found in my hall from Gunnar Syndrome. So they released the 4K of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, so that's great. They did a 4K of the Amityville Horror, which I picked up as well. They did uh, the 4K of Roadhouse, which, oh, my God, Roadhouse? Come on, man. Who doesn't like Roadhouse? <laughs> and um, one of their secret releases, which they didn't reveal till the uh, the party, till the sale actually went live. I don't know if you ever heard of a little movie called Freeway. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's in it? Uh, Reese with a very young Reese Witherspoon and Keeper Sutherland. Yes, yes. Where she's like, hold on, hold on. Where she's like, um, uh, like she's like running away from home or something. And yes. she, she's a hitchhiker. Yes. And like uh, Keith Keeper Sutherland picks her up, but he's like a total creep. He's a wacky. Yeah, exactly. He's wacky. And then doesn't he end up with like his face like like fucked up or something? Yeah, you got it. Oh you my god, it. dude, that was like a. That was like a Cinemax HBO (laughs) from the from back in the day, man. That's right. That's right. Oh my god! The second, like you, you second, you said that, like my my brain just went into like, I know what I know. This what is this? I haven't thought about this, but I know this. (laughs) That's awesome. I haven't. This is literally a blind buy for me, but I saw. Kiefer Sutherland, Reese Witherspoon. Like, oh, I gotta have to have this. And I saw like some screenshots of how Kiefer looks like with the wacky face. I'm like, oh, I need to have this. It's probably gonna suck, but I don't care. I'm gonna Dude, enjoy the fuck out of this. Watch it and report back because I like I have like memories of seeing that on TV on like your Cinemax, Showtime, HBO, one of those premium channels, and like and just catching bits of the plot here and there. 
but like never fully absorbing it. But I do remember Kiefer Sutherland's stupid face. So like, <laughs> I I remember that very much. Um, I have no idea how it starts or how it ends. I just know that she's a hitchhiker. He's a creep that picks her up, and then like all this craziness ensues. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm wondering if that movie holds up at all. Because if I were to watch it today, it'd be like a new, like it'd be a new experience. And it's in 4K of all things. So <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it, it, I I love this place, man. I picked up the last of my uh, Rudy Ray Moore movies as well, Disco Godfather. So now my Rudy Ray Moore set is complete from Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, yeah, so that was my uh, that was my uh, Black Friday from them from both those labels. So I'm I'm very happy. So nice. Criterion, sorry. You'll see me in July, though. Nice. Um, and uh, and we'll get to our, our movie. Our movie we're discussing uh, in a minute. One thing I want to say, since we were just talking about trashy movies, um, I did finally get around to seeing X, uh, which is based on filming a trashy movie. All so, right. Um, I freaking love that movie. That movie is great. Great. Um, the, I haven't seen Pearl yet, um, but I heard you lots of things to. about Pearl. You have to. Um, but X was like really good i was actually i was i thought like maybe like i was gonna get like um i thought i was gonna get like uh spoiled because i saw like a poster for pearl and it has like the what's her name mia goth like standing and like she's smiling she's got like blood on her or something yeah um, and then but and i knew mia goth was like the lead in this movie and I saw her in Pearl, like, holding up the axe or whatever. I was like, oh, shit, did I just get spoiled? Did, is it, like, that she's the killer or something in X, and that's why she's appearing on this movie poster? But no, she's just playing two different characters. So, like, that, like, make... And she played that character in makeup in that movie. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that movie de- deserves, like, a makeup award because that was fantastic. But, yeah, um, well, I thought it was a great, great movie. Great, like, like exploitation-type movie. Yeah, I love the the grindhouse vibes to it. I will, I will, I'm, I'm such a fan of the aesthetics of that movie. I mean, the acting is great. It's like Mia Goth is awesome. You should see her in Pearl. She is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it already. Like she has like a literal like ten minute soliloquy near the end of the movie, and it's just so awesome. Like I was, I could not take my eyes off of her. Like she's just, she's such an amazing actress. Awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it soon uh, when I get some time. But yeah. Uh... Yeah, X was really good, and then uh, it also stars uh, the new Wednesday Adams, Jenna Ortega. That's right. And she has like, I'm not spoiling anything, but uh, you, you know, I'm not for those who haven't seen. I'm not necessarily spoiling anything because the scene is technically in the trailer. Um, the moment where she's like stuck in the basement, and then she looks to—I'm not going to reveal what it is—but when she looks and sees that thing that she sees, yeah. her like look of terror and her scream fantastic like yeah she's great that too. was like an amazing you like she sold that fear like that was fantastic you know i think we're going to be seeing a lot a lot more of her especially now that wednesday's taking off yeah that shows a hit too i watched some of the, the first two episodes with my wife it's not bad um it's it's I don't, have you seen it at all uh i watched the first episode i haven't yeah, watched it it's yet. for those who haven't seen it it's not the vibe of like the adams family movies at all like it's way darker and it's less funny, but I'm not saying it's not funny on its own merit. It is. It's just not, they're not going for jokes all the time. Like the Adams family movies were like the Adams family movies were like a joke a second, you know, yeah. this is like a joke every few minutes, maybe, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's interesting. I've only seen the first two with my wife. Um, so I will probably keep watching it, but it's not bad. Yeah. It's one of the ones I intend to finish during the, um, during my Christmas break. 
because I was focusing on like, for example, like did, I don't know if you watched Andor at all. That's that show is awesome. I, know, I, lo- I, I keep I hearing about how good it is, and I just... I loved Andor. Oh my it, god! It, it reminded again. It's like one of those. It's 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 a it's a spy thriller essentially set in the Star Wars universe. There's no mention of, of Jedi. There's no you don't see a lightsaber, but it's in the Star Wars universe. It's like it reminded me of shows like Alias and Twenty Four. Like there's so spy shows. And it's just, it's so, I love the atmosphere. The acting is awesome. I love the story. That final episode, that 12 episode, oh my God, I was on pins and needles the entire time. It was so great. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta watch Tony Gilroy's awesome. I gotta watch that soon. I have such so little time to watch like my media. Like I, I just, it just, you know, like sometimes like, do I want to spend 12 hours watching a show or do I want to spend two hours watching a movie? Like that's, that's how yeah. I think about my time. No, I hear you, but definitely so, check that out. You got, yeah, you got I, to. it's on the list, man. It's just, I'm getting through that, my, that list very slowly, but, um, but yeah. All right. So, uh, speaking of things, fantasy and horror and sci-fi, uh, let's, let's talk about our, our, our movie this week. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be discussing Bride of Frankenstein. Um, I was thinking today, is this our first sequel we talked about? But no, it isn't because we talked about Empire Strikes Back. So this, this isn't our first sequel. But uh, it's rare that we talk about sequels on this show. Um, so we might be referencing a lot of the original movie as well. But um, but yeah, Bride of Frankenstein. So when did you first uh, see or experience Bride of Frankenstein? I don't know what year it was, but it was the year that that Universal box set came out for the first time. And um, which one, the Blu-ray or the DVD? The Blu-ray. Okay. So we picked that up, and I pretty much went through the whole sets. And I was at some point, like I saw Bride of Frankenstein for the first time. And <laughs> I don't want to get too much into it now because it's gonna, it's kind of a spoiler into my thoughts about the movie. But I remember watching it and just coming away thinking that was interesting and i could go in i could go into more but i'm going to save that for later yeah uh this movie is wacky um i love how wacky it is um the first time i ever saw it um i may i may have told the story when we did frankenstein episode i don't remember but when i was a kid like i was one of those kids that was into horror you know um, I like I loved horror movies, even if I was too chicken shit to see some of them. Like I would like I was too like at seven, eight years old, I was too afraid to watch like Jason and Freddy movies. I still loved Jason and Freddy, even though I was like not watching the movies because to certain, you know, if you're growing up as a horror kid, like you kind of you're drawn to the to like the look of things and Jason look cool. Freddy look cool, you know, Um but my first uh, experience was, and I think I may have mentioned this in the Frankenstein episode, was I bought this book at the book fair, um, and I wish I still had it, but I, it was like, you remember book fairs, scholastic book fairs, right, at school? Right. Um, and it was like this book of, like, movie monsters, right? And I bought it, I picked it up, and, and like, you know, it goes through all the universal monsters and stuff, and I remember seeing, like, Dracula and Frankenstein. So I went on this... Um, this thing where we every time we went to the video store, the local video, not even a blockbuster, like the local, like old school video store, um, yeah. I picked up, uh, I picked up Dracula, you know, and then I picked up Frankenstein, and then I picked up the Invisible Man, and I just went through the entire like Universal catalog as a kid. So right of that, so probably when I was like eight or nine years old, that's whenever I saw Bride of Frankenstein. Awesome, I remember all oh, those book fairs. Yeah, it takes me back. I think the last one I had was like. In seventh grade or something, I bought one of those yo-yo books when the yo-yo was uh, 
came back for like a oh, brief yeah. period of time to spin for like a week. week. Yeah. <laughs> was that around the time Pogs happened? I mean, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Pogs. What the hell were Pogs? I don't uh, know. So, uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Um, go through the stats here. Uh, directed by James Whale, uh, with a screenplay and story by William Hurlbert and John Balderston. Uh, based on, of course, Frankenstein novel by Mary Shelley, but kind of not. Uh, we'll get into that a little later. Um, produced by the legendary Carl Emley Jr. and starring Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Valerie Hobson, Elsa Lanchester, Ernest Theisiger, and E.E. E. Clive. Uh, cinematography by John Mescal, and of course, distributed by Universal Pictures. So, uh, let's get into it. Um, I've got some background stuff here and some other stuff I want to get into when we're talking about the meat of the movie. Um, off the bat, the two things I like like about this movie are that it's it works as a horror movie in the sense that they get into like some really kind of macabre subject matter, but yeah. it also works as a comedy because uh, this movie is legit kind of funny. Um, but it's also really weird, like like deeply weird movie. Yeah, that's one of the vibes I got to when I was watching this. It's just I I kind of tried to go into this. Okay, it's a horror movie, or at least it's supposed to be. But yeah, it has horror elements and it has horror subject matter, but it's not really much of a horror movie at all. Um, it's uh, it's it, it's one of those things where the premise is there and the and the premise kind of sets the mood, but it's like it's not it doesn't fit neatly into a little box is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, it definitely doesn't. Uh, and uh, I mean, the bride herself doesn't even appear until like the last five minutes of the movie. That's what I'm, I was going to save that for later, <laughs> but that's what I'm like. False advertising, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It literally, this movie's called The Bride of Frankenstein. And she just, I timed it. She shows up five minutes before the movie ends. Is when they unveil her. It's like that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I would demand a ref a, a refund of my five cents if, if, if I was in the theater that day. Um, so Universal. Uh, pictures releases Universal back in the 30s and 40s was known as the horror studio. Um, and it was, and as during like the Frankenstein preview screenings, like before it was even officially released, released, like it was getting such good reaction that they're like, we got to make a, we got to make a sequel at some point. So like they were planning sequels back as like 19, as far back as like 1931. And that took a long time to get to the screen. And, and like, cause back in the 30s and 40s, stuff got greenlit really quick and turned around really quick because I mean, one of the things, that about the studio system even though it was you know bad on a lot of fronts the good part of it was that as far as consumers went stuff got like it was a machine so like you could you know get something written and then you know uh directed and acted and produced and then edited and scored in like maybe six months you know what i mean and and released you know, like you could have a movie start production at the beginning of the year and end and be released like mid-year so they were like so it's odd that like you didn't get an immediate sequel like right away because if you see like the other horror uh universal horror movies that came out later like with the frankenstein meets the wolfman and all that all those movies were like back to back to back to back to back to back to back so like it's it's funny that like it took them four years to get around to a sequel yeah um so and you know there was a couple of things in there like script changes and things like that. I'm not going to get into granular details, but um, so basically after 
uh, uh, Frankenstein hit so well, Lemley wanted to make the sequel right away, but um, and but you know the different things in, in the way. But he wanted James Well back uh, specifically because Frank Frankenstein was so good. But he also did The Invisible Man at the time as well, around 1933, uh, and he just wanted to he just wanted to repeat the formula, you know. Which makes sense. Um, and Whale took like advantage of it because he basically said, "All right, if you if I do this for you, um, you will let me make another movie called One More River, which I have never seen, never heard of, don't know anything about. But apparently, he really wanted to make that movie, and that was part of the negotiating process. Um, and he got to. So there we are. Yeah. Um." Now, the re- one of the reasons that he didn't want to make the movie is because he felt like he pretty much got everything he wanted out of the first one. So when he agreed to doing the second uh, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, he re- he thought to himself that he couldn't top the original, even though a lot of people think it's better. Um, he couldn't top the original, so he decided to make it, in his words, a memorable hoot. <laughs> well, I don't know if he succeeded in that, but uh, well, that's. Uh... I, I, think, I think he did because whatever you can say about this movie, it's it's memorable and it's it's out there. Yeah, well, that it is. Um, so one of the reasons that it didn't get like a a, a sequel right away is because it went through a lot of script changes. Apparently, there was a. It started with one called The Return of Frankenstein. Um, and another one, oh, what was the name of it? I'm trying to, I didn't write down my notes, but it was like a wacky title. Um, it was called, uh, let's see, The Return of Frankenstein. Oh, and The New Adventures of Frankenstein, The Monster Lives. <laughs> That's a title. <laughs> you said The New Adventures. I was, I, I, I'm just so programmed to hear like The New Adventures of Superman. Or even the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> the new adventures of Frankenstein the Monster Lit. <laughs> I mean, that's a title, man. Um, so it went through all these different script changes and uh, different, and then Whale passed on a lot of them because he said, in his words, they stink to high heaven. Um, John Balderston, who, was, who I mentioned at the beginning, who wrote one, uh, one version of it, and he... Um, focused on the bride aspect of the novel so one thing we, we get to kind of address is uh, I, i've i read the book um have you ever read the book i haven't okay so i've read it and what's interesting is that the bride section of the book is like maybe halfway through the book and it's like you know it doesn't take up that much space in the book like it's it's like this you know he he may he, the monster comes back and convinces the the doctor to make him a mate, and then that's several chapters of that. Um, but that's it. Like it's halfway through the book, and it's funny because the first movie is like half an adaptation. The first movie takes a lot of elements from the books, but it like stops halfway through. Like it doesn't really continue the story. And this feels like it continues the rest of the book, but it takes, shall we say, a lot of liberties. Well, it wouldn't, is that the first time? And it wouldn't be the last. No, no. Um, so, and then finally, uh, uh, William Hurlbert is the one who kind of took elements from Balderston's script and some of the earlier versions, and and uh, and that's what got shot. Um, right. Some other things that I wanted to consider: Bella Lugosi and Claude Rains, who were Universal Pictures uh, stars in the other horror movies, um, Dracula and the Invisible Man. Uh, uh, 
respectively, um, were considered for the role of Dr. Pretorius, which I think would have made the role, would have made it very interesting and very different, not in a good or bad way, but all three mm. of those actors have very different takes on acting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else I have here. A couple of, there's just a couple of production notes I think are interesting. Um, Lanchester was cast basically because she was Charles Lawton's um, wife at the time. And she had been around like whenever he was filming things like the old dark house before I believe universal as well. Uh, and, and I think that was directed by James well. So um, she, she got cast basically because he knew her from being Lawton's wife. Right. Um, and the other thing that uh, I think is interesting to note is that they tried to get as many of the actors of the original as possible. Obviously, Karloff, um, but also Colin Clive, who played uh, Dr. Frankenstein. That's right. Uh, so one of the things that's interesting is Doc Colin Clive is apparently a raging alcoholic, and he got worse between the first movie and the second movie. But Whale didn't want to recast him because he felt like his alcoholism uh, gave him a hysterical quality, which was necessary. For the <laughs> which did, did, did come through, I got to say, in both movies it does. So. <laughs> uh, I think that's just funny as hell. Um, anyway, um, so let's get into the movie. Um, unless there's anything you want to talk about from background. No, I, I think you pretty much covered it. Um, so as I said, the movie takes place uh, pretty much halfway through the first book, and it takes a lot of liberties. Like, for example, in the book, um, it's the monster himself that comes to Frankenstein to make him the mate. Not There's no Dr. Pretorius. That's a completely made-up character. Right. Um, and Frankenstein does make it, but then decides not to give it life and kills it so because he doesn't want to create more you know, more monstrosities, right? Yeah. And and then that's kind of, you know, the rest of the book goes from there. Um, but yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> uh, other than the fact that the the that Frankenstein makes him a mate, everything else is completely different. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how the movie starts and you get the cast list and like you see the monster and it just says Karlov. Karlov, yes. Like, <laughs> like that, what, is he, what is he? Seal? No, I don't know, man. Karloff. I pop for that though because it's like it's like that's that's I don't know. That's just so cool. Like, not even you don't need his first name. It's just Karlov. <laughs> even the poster says starring Karlov. <laughs> I know, love it. And then in the tradition of the first movie where they build him as the monster question mark, uh, the monster's mate, mate gets a little question, question mark. mark, even though she's all she's actually credited for something else which we'll get oh. into right now yeah. um the movie starts uh not in uh not with the uh, frankenstein but with the real life writer mary shelley uh talking to lord byron and uh his friend percy something i can't remember his <laughs> name. um but uh and they're basically talking about how you know writing uh you know, writing novels and how some of them can be meant to be taken morality and then one of them says hey this is talking from the woman who wrote frankenstein the most uh dis you know macabre story of our time uh what could she know about uh teaching a lesson you know and then she says basically that it's about uh 
teaching a lesson about um, the consequences of of tempting God or playing God or something like that. Right. What's interesting is that Mary Shelley here is played by Elsa Lanchester, who is also pulling double duty, speaking of Pearl and X, uh, <laughs> uh, playing the monster and Mary Shelley. So um, that's it's, I just found that amusing. Yes, uh, I, I had to look up. It, it, it's funny, like, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when she shows up at the end as, as the bride, I'm like, that looks like the, the actress who played Mary Shelley at the beginning, but I wasn't sure. And then, of course, at the end when they do, like, you know, the whole, oh, you know, good cast, he's, you know, repeating or whatever they do, they used to do. Um, it still said question mark, so I had to look it up on Wikipedia. And yeah, it was her. I was like, oh, I knew it. But I wasn't 100% sure, but I was, it looks just like her. And it was her. Um, yeah, totally. It, it's uh, it, So anyway, she basically says, oh, there's more to the story. And they talk about how it's like they, the the first Frankenstein book as if it ended like where the movie ended. But it's like, that's yeah. not how it is. This, this anyway. is yeah. There's a, a sequel. This is like one book. Um, and she's like, there's more to the story. And then she goes on to tell the, you know, narrate uh, the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, what's funny is that the book was written in 1818, but the movie takes place in 1899. I don't know why they made yeah, that choice. That's, that's an odd that's, choice. It is an odd choice. I mean, it's still like quote unquote olden days or whatever, but it's just, I, I don't know. Um, so one, one interesting production note on this, um, they had to, this movie was heavily censored. Um, when oh, it went, when it went damn to, Hayes office to the Hayes office, yeah. And one of the things that they had to um, that they had to uh, cut was from the beginning of this film. They cut apparently some of um, some shots of Mary Shelley of because uh, the, her her breasts were too prominent. Oh come on! <laughs> you call that prominent? <laughs> hey, for 1935. Uh, I guess. <laughs> So the movie after that pretty much starts with like last time on Frankenstein and they give you like a recap of the of the last yes. movie which they do in a lot of universal movies a lot of universal sequels if you watch them like they'll recap the last movie like in the first 5 minutes it's always funny Previously um, on Frankenstein <laughs> Um every time I hear previously on I always think of the old X-Men show previously yeah, pre on X-Men, X-Men. <laughs> Anyway, um, so we get through that little recap, and then um, it basically starts right after they burn the the windmill or the warehouse, whatever it is, down at the end of that last movie. And um, you have like the villagers there who burned it down, like the you know they're continuing their destruction, and they're like they're like yeah he's dead now. But then what the the father whose little girl died in the last movie is like I want to make sure he's dead. Um, and he goes down into like the, the pit where there's like an underground, like lake or something in there. And, uh, he goes down there to like check. And then in a really great reveal, you see the monster come out of the shadows. Yeah. Really cool shot. That um, was a good shot. Uh, and that's a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of great shots in this film. Um, that, that's one of my favorites. Um, and then of course he kills that guy, comes back up and kills, uh, his wife uh, and I got <laughs> whole family's dead. <laughs> yeah, how about exactly. that? And I, I've got, I've got to just say this now. Um, the actress Una O'Connor. Oh, oh, here we go. Oh, <laughs> here we go. I swear, 
every movie I've seen her in, because she's also in The Invisible Man, mm-hmm. she is so annoying. She is the most, like, she has, like, like, heat with me, man. Like, every time I see her, I'm like, oh, my God, tone it down. You're at 100, and we need you down at 5. Um, like, her overacting is yeah. so corny and hammy, and I hate it. Like I, I, I can't monster, disagree with that. When she sees the monster like coming out of like the wreckage and stuff, like it's just I I want to smack her. Like she's <laughs> so stupid. You know, you're saying that this movie is kind of a comedy. Half the reason is because of her and her acting. <laughs> but like that's the bad comedy. Like the like I know that was intentional comedy, but it was bad comedy. Yeah. I hated it. Um, but she, she's got a very prominent role in this movie. Um, that's mini, what I was I saying too. Movie. Like I was watching this again and I was like, wait, why am I seeing so much of her? Like, yeah, she's, she's not a quote unquote important character, but like she's in a lot of scenes for a not important character. And it's like, you know what her, her role, her role is to like impart information. Like she's there to like tell someone, oh, this happened. And then that's it. Like that she's, that's her only use in this movie. Right, and to scream like an idiot, like oh god, like how, whenever she saw the monster for the first time, it seriously looked like the way she reacted was like if she was like in a in a Looney Tunes or something. Like it's so overdone, even right. for this movie. <laughs> um, but that's what a lot of people like. The movie's super campy, which is I think what a lot of people like about it, and uh, that certainly lends to the campiness is her performance. Yes, it does. Um. So they take a, you know, they find Henry's body in the, um, in the wreckage of the windmill, and they, you know, the villagers take him back to 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 his uh, mansion <laughs> or castle, whatever it is, um, and Minnie just happens to be their housekeeper or their maid or whatever, whoever whatever. answers the door and like cleans the house. Um, she, uh, you know, she's she um, says that the monster's still around, but like no one's like listening to her at all. Um, and then yeah, we get we, we get like uh, Henry basically being nursed back to health by his fiance, uh, who in the last movie was basically attacked by the monster himself. Um, and yeah, that's that's where we are next in the film. Yeah, I can't really. Uh, I, so at this point, I mean, we're only about fifteen minutes in, and it's you know we had you know Maria, her father, and her mother now die. We had. <laughs> um, the monster is alive, and we thought, you know, Frankenstein was dead, but it turns out, you know, he wasn't. Wasn't it implied in the first one that he was dead when he threw him off the uh, the windmill? It was implied he was dead, right? Yeah. So, I, I guess I I don't know, but either I guess he just wasn't dead. <laughs> they pretty much treated him like he was dead and carried him around like he was dead. So that that was pretty funny, but uh, but yeah, so he's actually not dead. <laughs> Um, so Elizabeth is like nursing, uh, Henry back to health when, uh, a new character pops into the screen, uh, Dr. Pretorius, he arrives at the, at the house. And this is where, again, Una kind of serves her purpose to introduce him. Um, and we find out that he's like an old professor or mentor to, um, to, to Henry. And he, you know, he knows what he did, like, he knows how, like what he created and he's basically saying, I am also 
like interested in creating life from nothing and we will you know i want you to help me with with something and colin clive's acting here man Oof. it's like the it's like i i cannot and then but i'm but i'm intrigued but i can't you know to, tone it down olivier yeah it's, <laughs> it, it, man, that, if that's what alcohol alcoholism does to you uh, um but ba- and then okay so so we get this this sequence where he talks to him and he's very threatening like in like in the manner of like you need to do this with me um we, we get we then see him take henry to like uh his his house oh um, my, my favorite scene bro here we go <laughs> and okay look um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I can't explain this with a straight face, so you're going to have to do it for me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, look. So, uh, dude, how do I explain this? Um, when I saw this as a kid, I didn't really, I probably didn't like think too much of it, right? And then I'd, it went years before I saw it as an adult. I saw it again as an adult, like maybe ten years ago. And when it came to the scene, I remember thinking, "What? <laughs> what is this?" And it's basically uh, Pretoria says, "I also have been making, you know, bringing bringing things to life, but not as successfully as you. I can't get them past six inches." I think he says. Yeah. And then he proceeds to like lift the little these little curtains off these little jars. And there's like these little people <laughs> in these jars that he calls them. Uh, I don't think he says it, but I think I looked it up and they're called homunculi. I guess that's the name for them. Like yeah. tiny people. Um, and uh, one is like a king. Uh, yeah. One is like the queen. There's a bishop, I think. There's yeah, a ballerina. Yep. Apparently there were others too, but they were cut for time. They were cut. Uh, from in the final edit, because if oh, you look at the table, oh, God. he's got like six, six or seven different jars, but he only shows him like four of them. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's a baby in one of them. Uh, it's <laughs> it's the weirdest scene in the movie. It's so weird. Like he, the the king, like like at one point, like the escapes his bottle and like he has to pick him up with like tweezers. It's like. What is happening in this? And movie? then, and then you hear that when they they talk, they do the little squeaky sound like in freaking Cinderella with the mice and shit. It's like, oh man, I'm I'm watching this and I'm just thinking to myself, where the hell's Karloff? Like, Karloff, <laughs> Karloff, where the hell's Karloff? Man? Why am I watching little people? <laughs> it's like the, such a weird sequence. Like, what is this? I mean, and this isn't even like the. I mean, this is the weirdest sequence in the movie, but it, it shows how weird Pretorius is because there's another scene late, later that I want to talk about. It's like, why did he do that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the it, he shows basically he's he's trying to get um, intrigue uh, Henry to start doing this, um, uh, make this project, and he says that he he's got a I think he created a heart, but he needs him to. Oh, he's no, he's growing he an artificial brain. brain. He's a brain. The heart is later. He's growing a brain, um, and he just wants Henry to gather the parts for the for the mate. Um, but he doesn't like Henry. I think doesn't agree right away. Basically, um, then we get some more stuff with the monster. Thankfully, um, he accidentally drowns a, a young woman, um, and her, her screams like 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 alert some hunters uh, who find him and. Um, 
and like a mob that like goes after him and they capture him and yeah. basically tie him to a pole. Um, there are some, there are a lot of interpretations of that pole. Uh, oh, dude, sorry. Go back to, to go back to little people. There's a mermaid too. Yes, that I was the, that was the, the other one. That was the that was the weird one because it, it was the king, queen, the archbishop, and then there was one in between, and then there was the ballerina. We couldn't. It was the mermaid. It was oh, that was so weird. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, so I want to know what you think of this because a lot of people have interpreted this sequence as very like as putting him in like a very Christ-like pose by by the way they like tied him up. Yeah, and. And you know how like film scholars are. I, I think Whale denied this, but you know how film scholars are. They'll look at interpretations into everything. And what do you think of the idea that he put that there as like a a criticism uh, against like Christianity? Because like here's this monster like on this cross. Like that's what I think of Christianity or something like that. What do you think of that interpretation? I didn't pick that up when I watched it, but now that it's explained to me, I can see how people can look at that and say, oh. That's not cool, man. So, because um, uh, the, the the that scene is pretty vivid, you know. And now just kind of thinking back to it and seeing like how he was posed and everything. Yeah, I yeah, I can see how people can kind of come to that conclusion. I didn't pick up on that though when I was watching. Yeah, the other subtext in that that this movie has is uh, James Whale was a was an openly gay uh, man. Uh, Colin Ooh, Clive, the 30s, that's risky. Yeah, and Colin Clive was was I believe gay, and so was Ernest Dysiger. Uh I don't know how to say his name, but uh, who played Pretorius? And there's a lot. Of, there's another reading that people have of this, um, where they because because Pretorius is quote unquote coded as gay, like he's not gay, but he's like showing signs that would be typically stereotypically gay basically got it um that's what like that's what coded means like like you would assume that character is gay um and uh which is something that apparently like had they had some trouble with the censors with um but uh, they let it through but a lot of people uh could interpret like um pretorius coming to to henry on his wedding night you know uh, to bring him back to do some, bring him back into doing something that that's ungodly and evil like people like are ta- are, are taking that some people interpret that you know because it means going to him on his wedding night you know and he's taking him back taking him away from his wife like it just seems it's an interesting theory as well i don't know and again um whale has also denied that but people interpret it that way it's interesting didn't Uno O'Connor at some point, like in the beginning, she goes, Oh, what a horrible wedding night. <laughs> she did say that. <laughs> it could have been a lot worse, but yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, uh yeah, it, it's just an interesting theory that people have out there. Uh I, I think it's worth examining like an like if I had to watch the movie again with through that lens, I would I would try, but um Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um so uh, where were we? So, oh, so after he's, you know, taken into a dungeon, he manages to escape because he got like super Frankenstein strength, um, which, again, I've never really understood, like why him being an undead monster gives him super strength. strength. <laughs> like in almost every depiction of Frankenstein, whether it's like these movies or like the Hammer movies or like cartoons with Frankenstein in them, he's always like portrayed as like super strong. But why? It's like dead 
reanimated flesh. Why would that make you strong? Well, the, yeah, but <laughs> no, I, I just I I admittedly cracked up when they literally threw him in the dungeon, and like a minute later, he just breaks. The door. He's just out. He's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, you know, so he so he escapes again, and he he comes across uh, an old man playing playing the violin. So he's drawn to to this old man who's playing the violin. Um, and, now this made me sad. This scene. This, yeah, this, this scene made me very scene. sad. This is a good scene. So, and he goes, um, and he finds he, he finds the old man, and it's and he's uh, a blind hermit who's like, and he so he doesn't know that he's a monster. He just hears like there's a man there, and he hears them like he's he's grunting and he can't speak. Um, so he decides to show him some like mercy and compassion. He he gives him food, um, and Oh, actually, this is another reading in the, of the Christianity thing. People, as people pointed out, he gives them bread and wine. That like, is that's true. Interesting, but it's also, I mean, but but he also like I always assumed he was like like a monk or something, which would yeah. kind of make sense. Like, so I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. But yeah, it's a really good scene. Um, and he teaches him, like he gives him food and he shows him kindness. And uh, the monster, you know, obviously appreciates that and he starts to um starts to teach him words uh like friend, friend. and good um so interesting thing about this uh Karloff did not want the creature to speak he was really annoyed that he was that he he had to have uh he had to speak in the film not because he didn't want to but because he thinks it it's he thinks it shouldn't happen and he has a quote right. here speech stupid my argument was that if the monster had any impact or charm it was because he was inarticulate this great lumbering inarticulate creature the moment he spoke you might as well say play it straight um i disagree with him here because in the book this this is act this scene actually happens in the book but in the book um it's it's a lot different like uh, he the old man lives lives lived with his wife. I'm sorry, with his son and his wife, and uh, like the son's wife. Um, and Frank, the monster, like like he sees them as like this happy family, and he like kind of stalks them and like just watches them from afar. And he learns English just from watching them like over weeks and weeks and weeks, and eventually learns just like by through context how to speak. So the monster right. speaks in the book, um, and once he like learns to speak, he's actually not like this dumb thing like that's always portrayed. He's actually fairly intelligent after he learns to speak. So um, yeah, so I just I do disagree with with Karloff here. Plus, it like gives us like 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 the classic like friend good, wine good. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing is that the they hired whale hired a studio psychiatrist uh who and i'm gonna read this from wikipedia that i got this who selected 44 simple words for the monster's vocabulary by looking at test papers of 10 year olds working at the studio first of all hmm. what what are these 10 year olds doing in a studio you who like working at the studio i hope they're actors not just oh, like it is the 30s child labor <laughs> So I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, what do you think of having the monster speak? Uh, I don't have a problem with it. Um, it kind of like, you know, it was, I think, a natural progression 
from the first one. You know, he was just this inarticulate brute. Whereas here, like, obviously, like, the more he's around people, he is a person, even though he is, you know, a composite of dead body parts, but he is, quote unquote, a person. So naturally, he would at some point learn to speak something. So I didn't have a problem with this at all. Yeah. Um, so the uh, so the his good times don't last because uh, some of the mob uh, of the hunters that were that were after him in the first place and they come upon this cabin in the woods, this hut in the woods, um, and they go in to talk to the blind man, but then they notice that the monster is there, and then you know everything goes nuts, and you know basically the the whole house gets burned down because they're trying to attack the monster. Course, the blind man is like don't attack my friend and that's the, that's like the saddest part he's like this is yeah. my friend don't don't hurt him um and so like now the monster is at his lowest point right like he the one person who was like a companion to him um like for only like a few hours or whatever like has now been taken away the one person who wouldn't judge him um so like they give the monster like a lot of you know like empathy in this film um he goes to um he takes refuge again in like a crypt from people like chasing after him um and this is where another weird pretoria scene happens <laughs> um so he the monster's kind of hanging out in this crypt and coincidentally enough you have uh, some of the uh, pretorius and his like two little henchmen one of them played by uh, Dwight Fry who's who's who pops up in all these universal monster movies. Um, right. And he also was in the first Frankenstein playing the same character, but in that movie he had a hunchback. And in this one, he doesn't have a hunchback for whatever reason. <laughs> um, he's down there with them as they like steal body parts for, you know, to, to make, to have for the mate. Um, but while he's down there, he sits down to eat dinner. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does. Why does he have dinner down there? It, it was all. It was like already set up. Like he just went over, walked over, and like sat down to his already set up meal. <laughs> what? Why is he having dinner down there? <laughs> yeah, it was nicely furnished. He had the skull as a centerpiece with the candle. I'm just like, okay. I, mean, I, I guess this is why I kind of love this movie because you get such random stuff like this. Um, I just, <laughs> and he's like talking to himself and like laughing to himself. Um. And then the, the so eventually the monster reveals himself to him, and like Pretorius is like un unfazed. He's like, "Hey, come and sit down, have a drink, you know, drink um, good." <laughs> um, and then that's where he's like, "Hey, me and Henry, we're gonna make you a girlfriend. What do you like about that?" Then he said, "Like, woman, good." <laughs> um, yeah. Well, for first he was he was like, you know, make friends. He's like, woman. Woman, <laughs> woman, friend. Um, I'm trying to think if uh, anything else happens after that scene. Does it go right to like, oh, Pretorius basically goes back to um, back to Henry, and he's like, "Look, we're gonna do this thing, uh, and I'm gonna make you do it." And he um, basically has the monster kidnap his his wife, uh, who I already forgot her name because she's. Elizabeth, maybe? Elizabeth. She's such a non-factor in this movie. Um, <laughs> he captures the, like, and then basically says, like, we'll kill her if you don't do what I say. Like, so she's she's his hostage so that uh, Henry goes along with the plan. Um, let's see. 
and then I think they go right to making the monster then. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they go right to making the monster then. Because um, the last, like, 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes is, like, all... Because the movie's short as hell. It's, like, 75 minutes total. Yeah. So, like, the last 15, 20 minutes is just the whole monster-making process. And you see, like, uh, Henry, like, you know, doing stuff in the lab. And as he's, you know, he's tortured at first, but then he starts to get into it. And he starts to, like, be become, like, super, like, uh, invigorated again about doing this, like this dark deed um and he completes the bo- the bride's body and then like just like the first movie they're going to raise it up into the air to be struck by lightning um so the her first appearance is actually like wrapped completely in bandages much like the original frankenstein was so you don't actually see her um what i think is interesting is that elsa lanchester was in those bandages which is like why because you could get any actress to do that, like just to sit. Yeah. You're not even an actress; you could just use mannequin. But because and the reason I know this is because um, she uh, she had to deal with um, the costuming, and she complained about having to like drink as little as possible so she wouldn't have to go to the bathroom to take all those bandages off. <laughs> so uh, that's just, I just think that's interesting. A little weird, but yeah, definitely interesting. Um. So much like the the first movie, the first movie, uh, the lightning strikes and bring it down. Mm-hmm. The movie, uh, her hand starts moving, and we get the iconic "It's alive" uh, uh, sound bite again. Um, and then we get the big monster reveal in the last five minutes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like five minutes left in the movie. They, have you, they they unwrap her bandages, and uh, we see the iconic Bride of Frankenstein look with the the big black hair with the stripes going the, going through it. Um, and not gonna lie, as a little kid, this is probably one of my first crushes is the Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> um, so I'm just putting that out there. Um, but she comes off and she she looks at uh, at the monster. He goes, friend. And she like screams at him. And she basically he she hates me like everyone else. Um so yeah, not didn't work out well for for, for the monster there. Yeah, I felt bad for him. <laughs> like, not only is uh, everybody else reject him, now his quote unquote wife rejects him. And it's just like uh this guy can't catch a break. Um, in my notes here, I do have that, uh, uh, basically her hair, the way they did her hair was to put basically like a wire cone and then put like, like a wig or hair around that to, to to match the, uh, to get the look, which I think, I don't know. I wonder like who got that idea, like why that look of like the hair standing straight on end. Yeah, because I mean, when she's all bandaged up before she's alive. You can't even tell she has that kind of hair under there. So I don't know, like, maybe they do a hair prosthetic. They, I mean, I'm not talking about in kayfabe. Like, did they, like, attach this wig onto her or something? Or because yeah, I don't you couldn't know. see she had that kind of hair in, in, under the bandage. So I don't know where that hair came from. Unless it's, like, she got shocked so it went up like that. Maybe. maybe. Oh, you know what? That's probably it, actually. I, I don't to think about it. But, uh, yeah, this movie... Uh, let me get finished the recap, but um, so he's mad that she rejects him. Um, and Elizabeth has at, at 
one point escaped and gone to Henry, and she's like, "We got to get out of here." And the monster like destroys the laboratory. He he basically says that tells Henry to leave. To he says, "Go, you live." So he tells Henry to leave, but he's sticking Pretorius there with him, and he says, "You stay." We in a great line, "We belong dead." Pull some like mysterious lever, and then the whole lab blows up. Yep. Um. So, uh, two th- couple things I want to mention about this. Um, before the lab blows up, like you get a really cool interaction where she lists monster. The bride just doesn't even know what she's doing. She just looks at him and goes, she just hisses at him. Yeah. Um, which she's uh, which Elsa Lanchester says she based on like the like geese that were like in her in her pond nearby where she grew up or something. So, and she said that she had got laryngitis after that, after filming that because whale made her do it like, like multiple times. So it like killed her voice. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I want to mention is that uh, after she does that, you get like a reaction shot of, of the monster and he's got this tear rolling down his face. Karloff acting through all that prosthetic, man. It's beautiful. Yeah, they, they they saw him with that. He sheds a tear like twice. I think the first time he, he they showed him was when um when he met the blind guy and he was like praying and thanking God for his friend. I think they yeah. showed a, like uh they showed him crying there, and then at the end here when the bride hissed at him, which I thought was funny. But then like seeing him cry over that, like oh man, I, sorry bud, I, I've been there. Um, yeah. So again, like you mentioned. She only appears in like the last five, literal last five minutes of the movie. And um, I think her like getting shocked by lightning actually takes more time than her physical appearance on screen. Um, (laughs) And it's funny because it's a total like misnomer for the movie because like you only see her at the end, very like literal, very end. Um, But it's funny because even though she's only on screen for that long, that is a it is a very famous iconic look that has been replicated and right. like like even now if you watch any like cartoon that has a Frankenstein in it and he has a girlfriend it's always she always has that kind of hair always right. it's in the Hotel Transylvania movies um, it's in uh, and I can't think of other little cartoons like that but you know what I'm talking about um, always and it's interesting that it, that it took that much of a um a hold on the on, on pop culture that everyone knows it even if they haven't seen the movie right um so yeah that's the film um one thing about the ending that i want to mention is that henry uh was originally supposed to die and i think they shot that because of uh I got two from my research. I got two conflicting answers. One is because the censors didn't want that to happen, for whatever reason. Or two, um, the studios came to him saying that they should allow for him to live in case they want to make more movies. Um, so they reshot the ending to allow for him to sur- to allow him to survive. But apparently, and I didn't check this, but apparently, when you see the castle collapsing or the lab laboratory collapsing, you can still see him. Um, like in the lab. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So interestingly enough, and they reshot that end, um, and redid the editing, like only a few days before the movie was, uh, was officially released. Oh, wow. Again, man, it's that studio system. It's cranking yeah. things out. Um, trying to see uh, other censorship things that they had in there. Uh, let's see. 
uh, apparently there were certain lines of dialogue that were 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 ejected that usually talking about being God or or um, being compared to God, which I think is funny because that's the whole point of the movie is to yeah. not like act like God. But the, here they're saying you're not supposed to act like God in a movie or something. Like, what? That's the point of the movie. <laughs> Did you ever read that like Twitter thing? I don't know if it was ever real that someone like posted like like some high schooler who just wrote Frankenstein for the first time. And he's like, did you know that the real villain is actually the doctor? (laughs) (laughs) Like, how do you not know that? That's the whole point of the book. (laughs) The whole point of the book is that Frankenstein, the man was a piece of shit and that he shouldn't have played God. Right. Anyway. uh, But the couple of stuff that like that, they, they cut out. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, Oh, and at one point there was a, a, a scene where the monster was was in the when the monster was in the graveyard where he saw a a crucifix of like a life-size crucifix of Jesus and he tried and he tries to like rescue him from the cross um that was cut <laughs> um yeah they they showed that in the background of one of the scenes but then like that was it like but i guess there was a follow up to it but i remember seeing that in the background at one point uh, that crucifix um and then we got a little bit of it in the movie where they say that where uh, Henry says that they need a, a, a new fresh heart and they send one of the flunkies out to do it. Yeah. Um, and it's heavily implied, but not said, that he kills some random woman and takes out her heart. Right. Um, and apparently they wanted to make it more – it was more vague in this uh, – in, in the final in the final product because in the original script apparently they were – it was a little more not explicit but more obvious um, i mean this was pretty obvious <laughs> and it was pretty obvious but i mean like more like i don't know what i, I don't know what the word is but more blatant maybe okay. right um what else uh in england and china it was censored because when the it, when the monster looks at the body to be of the bride before it's reanimated um he looked at it too longingly and uh citing concerns that it looked like necrophilia uh, so we got a katie vick situation basically so <laughs> oh don't look that one up folks if you don't know what he's talking about and this is the funniest one uh, japan censored the scene where pretorius picks up the little henry the eighth and um because it they said it's uh you can't have depictions of someone making fool out of a king. <laughs> okay. Whatever you say, guys. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's Bride of Frankenstein. What, what kind of thoughts do you have on, uh, on the film overall? Uh, that I want my nickel back. This was 1935. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I do see, like, how, I mean, no matter what I think of the movie itself, um, it does have its place in the culture. Obviously, now the Bride of Frankenstein, for as little as she was on screen, became like this cultural icon. Like that look became, you know, the embodiment of the character. So I can see why this is still a significant film, even if I pretty much don't care for it all that much. <laughs> um, it's a little too wacky for my taste, but um, but I can see why, like you know, it has like its um, its reputation. Um, I love the wackiness of this film. I I love that like when you compare it to the other Universal monster movies, 
it doesn't really fit in. Like the other ones yeah. may be corny, but like they're taking it seriously. Right. Whereas this movie is kind of half taking it seriously. And there are some like Una O'Connor uh, where it's just, they're not taking it seriously at all. Um, and there's just such wackiness with Pretorius and everything. Um, it, it's just such an odd mix. And that I, I just do kind of love it for that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a good movie. Um, it, I think it deserves its its praise. Um, just and I think because a lot of people really didn't like horror back then, they the, all the campy elements appealed to them. So it got a lot of really good reviews. Um, and like a lot of them, if you read through them, they're like for a horror movie or for this kind of movie, it's good. But a lot of them were were very you know, straight out saying, no, this is a great movie. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great movie. You didn't gel with you so much, but that's okay. That's <laughs> um, all right. So a little bit about its legacy. The film um, earned approximately $2 million at the box office, which in today's money is $31 million, um, which made a pro- and it made the profit of 950000 which is $14.9 million in 2022 dollars so like you hear 31 million nowadays like it doesn't sound like a lot but it had a, it had a lower budget so like it, it it made a profit and it made enough of a profit that obviously they they kept making these movies well into the 40s hell into the 50s with uh creature from the black lagoon um and, th- and that's really all that matters like th- these movies make some profit and it, it's enough to get them to make another one another one another one another one exactly um Oh, actually, one of my favorite reviews, the New York Post described it as a grotesque, gruesome tale, which of its kind is swell. <laughs> that sounds very bully, doesn't it? <laughs> it's bully, swell. bully. Um, only one Academy Award nomination for this one uh, for Best Sound Recording. It did not win. Um, in 1998, it was entered into the... Um, uh, National Film Registry. Registry. Um, And the film itself was followed by several sequels. In order, they are Son of Frankenstein, which was the last time Karloff was in the makeup. Uh, Ghost of Frankenstein, which is, I think, when Bela Lugosi is in the makeup. And then Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and, of course, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which is the only movie wackier than this one. But that one, I but it's Abbott and Costello, so... I accept the wackiness of it because with Abbott and Costello, you get you know you're getting wackiness doing it. So with that, that's why I, I love that movie. That's a great. There's, movie. there's a great. There's a great line. I don't know if this is the exact exchange, but I always I always remember it. It's like, you don't understand. Tonight when the moon is full, I'm I'm gonna turn into a wolf, and uh, uh, Costello goes, "You and about six million other guys." That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line. Um, there were many attempts to remake Bride of Frankenstein, like, all throughout the years. The closest actual remake was this movie from the 80s called The Bride with Sting as Frankenstein. <laughs> not, and, not not real estate Steve Borden, right? You're talking about the other Sting. Exactly. And uh, Jenna Jennifer Beals uh, from Flashdance as The Bride. Um, but I've never seen the movie. But the speaking of In Search of Darkness, they did talk about it in In Search of Darkness Part Two, I think. Um, and I've never seen it, but I, I went back and saw the trailer. I don't like it's. Oh, you know who's who's the who the monster is? Oh, what's his name? Um, uh, 
you know, the captain from, from Shawshank Redemption. What's his name? And uh, he was uh, Kurgan and Highlander. Oh, um, oh shoot, shoot, shoot. Oh, damn oh this is going to bug me. Um, ah, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. I'm trying not to look it up because it's so easy to look it up. But uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown. Clancy, uh, Brown. Clancy Brown is the monster. But um, in this film, in this version, from what I saw on the uh, on the trailer, is more like Frankenstein makes the makes the mate for himself, and it's like a love story between them. But Clancy Brown is like coming back as the monster, and he wants the mate and stuff like that. So, um, I blind bought it on Voodoo just to watch it. I haven't watched it yet, but I, it, it intrigued me enough to be like, I gotta see this. <laughs> um, the other thing, as far as their uh, remakes go, we were supposed to get a modern version uh, in the now very very much failed dark universe um with Javier Bardem and Angelina as the monster and the mate Angelina Jolie as the monster and the mate uh, um past. I, I would have seen that movie honestly I I am still to this day bummed that the dark universe didn't work I didn't and, even watch the mummy so they don't <laughs> don't watch the mummy it's horrible I know you told me not to it's, like, it's so bad <laughs> Uh, it's the, the the one of the it's so bad, but um, I, like because that movie failed so bad, like they didn't continue the Dark Universe, and I I think there was, I'm an old school monster guy, so I wanted to I kind of wanted to see the the um, I kind of wanted to see the Dark Universe, but mm-hmm. oh well. Um, uh, the only other movie I knew that they had planned was the, um. Uh, the Invisible Man with Johnny Depp starring, right. uh, and eventually that turned into The Invisible Man we saw like two years ago, uh, which right. was a much different take and was freaking awesome. But no, that was great. That was great. But uh, I mean, speaking of universes ending, it looks like the DCU is also dead. So. I saw that. Um, but Cavill just said he's returning as Superman, though. So is it like another? He's going to be back, but. They're doing something different. I feel like they're gonna keep the some of the at least most of the cast, but this just they're just gonna start from scratch again. Which you know what? I mean, I'm okay with that because this fucking thing has gone off the it's rails. It went off the rails it's years such ago. Such a mess. Yeah, it's such a mess. Like they tried different... to be Marvel at their own game, and because they tried to rush it, they failed. So yeah, exactly. Should have taken it slow, man. Um, yeah. Um. But Cavill is a good Superman, despite him being in crappy DC movies. Like, he's a he's like Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield is a good Spider-Man in bad Spider-Man movies. Cavill is a good Superman in bad Superman movies. Yeah, I, I can I I can agree with that. Like he's he's the like no disrespect to Brandon Ralph, but he is feels like a successor to Reeve. He looks a lot like Reeve in some shots, yeah. um, and he just he's got like. You know, he's got the kind of the classic handsome good looks um, and classic like muscular build like Reeves had. Um, he he fits the part really well. But and he's got the, the that natural charisma about him. Yeah, too, he does have a charisma. Kind of like, drawn to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's good. He's a good Superman. He's just bad, bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bride of Frankenstein, 
uh, is available streaming on the Criterion channel. I think they have a bunch of old Universal Monster movies on the Criterion channel right now. So you can catch some of those and Bride of Frankenstein as well if you have a Criterion channel uh, subscription. Uh, everywhere else, you can buy it and rent it digitally in all the normal places. Right. The lowest uh, I saw was $3.99 to rent and $12.99 to purchase. But of course, we here are proponents of physical media, and what I would always recommend is to watch the Blu-ray. Uh, and I mean, obviously, watch it in a the theater if you can. But uh, for home media, the there's that great that you talked about earlier, uh, thirty disc Universal Monsters set, or not thirty disc, thirty movie. That'd be crazy. Thirty disc, thirty movie Universal Monster set in which uh, Bride of Frankenstein is included. That is correct, but. Uh... I did want to ask you as a connoisseur of Frankenstein in a way. You actually read the book. I never read the book. Um, because recent, I think it was earlier this year, Arrow Video, one of my other favorite boutique labels, did a uh, premium, uh, we'll call it a premium release because they released a steelbook for it and everything. They did a premium release of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 94 from Kenneth Branagh. I don't know if you've ever seen that one and what your thoughts on it are. I have. Um, it is much closer to the book. Um, and they clearly took inspiration from like putting the author's name in front of the, in front of the title, like the, from, from a couple years before with Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dracula. Yep. Um, I am a big fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know it's a lot, there's a lot of cheesiness to it. And there Keanu, is, but it's and, awesome though. And Keanu Reeves' accent is the worst thing in the world, but that movie is freaking gorgeous. And I love that version of Dracula. Um, I cannot say the same for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Now, that said, it's not bad. It's fine. And that's the best I can say for it. It's fine. I guess Bobby De Niro is no Karloff. <laughs> he's not. Although, he's not bad. He's not bad. Um, and they do make him speak. Because like, just like in the book, he learns to speak like a normal human. Um, and... It's fine. The movie's fine. It's <laughs> it's fine. But it's I not mean, good. I figured with all the bells and whistles that Arrow gave this release, I, I figured it was uh, bigger than, than what it was. <laughs> I mean, so I have the DVD, but I mean, there's a reason I haven't like double dipped because it's like I don't know if I need to like have the special edition or the Blu-ray of this. Like, it's fine. I don't need it. Yeah. This is as good as it is. But Cause, cause I, mean, I was about to pick it up, but like that was well, very. I don't, uh, don't want to discourage you. Like, I don't want to discourage you if you want to actually watch it, because I'm not saying it's bad. It's just I don't know if you need to spend drop thirty bucks on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, um, so yeah, that is the legacy of of uh, of Bride of Frankenstein and where it's available. And um, overall, I think it's a great movie. You think it's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's so so. Let's just put it. I mean, I had a good time watching it, but it's I, I for the reputation it had, I was expecting a little more. All right. So, um, our next movie, uh, which we will, which we very much hope to record and release before Christmas, will be our, our annual Christmas movie. Except, not really. So, I put up a poll on the Essential Films page um, where I asked them which movies um, should which movie should we do for Christmas this year. And um, I'll tell you real quick what the, what the consensus was here. Um, so 
we got I put in uh, remember the night meet John Doe meet me in St. Louis Christmas in Connecticut it happened on Fifth Avenue holiday affair a Christmas story planes trains and automobiles which is Thanksgiving and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation uh, those were all the choices and the, but there was one where I said a Christmas Carol at the movies looking at the many adaptations of Charles Dickens's most famous work um, and that won by thirty eight percent meet me in St. Louis came in second place but um, so that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so, and what that means is, we're not going to focus a deep dive into a, uh, into a version of the Christmas Carol, uh, because I think we all know exactly what happens in a Christmas Carol, uh, no matter what version it is. So, we're just going to talk about all the different um, versions of a Christmas Carol that have come out over the years. So you can go we old school, like the one uh, with Reginald Owens uh, from 1938, or the Alistair Sim version from 1951, or for some deep cuts, the George C. Scott TV one and the Patrick Stewart TV one. Um, there's also Scrooge, which you mentioned, uh, which is a classic, uh, a modern take on it. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, my favorite version of it. So there's so many different versions of a Christmas Carol. Um, we just figured we'd talk about as all the ones that we enjoy. Oh, definitely. definitely. I, mean, I was telling you off air, like I have up a Christmas Carol, I have Scrooge, and then I looked it up because I have all my stuff kind of saved on uh, Blu-ray.com profile. I have the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. So, yeah. I, I mean, and we'll uh, no, I'm not going to get into which one's best, which one's we'll, we'll save that for the show. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol is is definitely my favorite. But um, that's what we're going to be talking about. And uh, oh, speaking of Muppet Christmas Carol, um. Apparently, the Disney Plus version has When Love Is Gone back. Really? I think I, uh, so. I haven't checked for myself. I, I, but I, I will put it on right now and I'll find out. I saw someone post about it, and I, but I haven't checked myself. So, Because if that's still in the movie, they, they put that back. That's fantastic news. Thank God. If that's the case, like that's, that's really great. Um, uh, but I will find out probably tomorrow. I'll put it on and I'll, I'll see for myself. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it um, on Disney Plus, even though I have it everywhere else. I'm gonna watch it on Disney Plus um, with my daughters some sometime soon. Um, so my, it's my favorite version. But yeah, hopefully they they did put that back in. But I heard they did. I haven't confirmed it myself, but I heard they did. Well, you just got my hopes up. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> it's not for nothing. <laughs> All right. So um, essentialfilmspodcast.com is a website. Essential Films Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. You can like the Essential Films on Facebook and follow, and that where you can vote on polls on what, what we're going to watch next. Um, we're going to follow, and you can follow us at Essential Films on Twitter. Um, if you like the show, please like, rate, and review us and subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Um, and please check out our other show, Force Perspective. Mark, uh, over to you. Yes, so you can follow me on Twitter at SportsGuy515. You can follow Force Perspective on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. And uh, we might do like a show before the end of the year, just kind of like a year review of the movies. Um, I am kind of starting to get back into this my normal swing of things and I'm with the holidays and then with work before that. It was kind of a little crazy. So I haven't been able to get to the movies as much as I wanted to. I mean, the last thing I saw was Black Panther, but like there were so many other things I wanted to see. And now with Award season coming up. I'm kind of getting into uh, my old. Uh, I'm starting to feel like my old self again in a way, which I haven't felt in about two years when it comes to going to the movies. Like you know, That's I saw good. the trailer for Babylon, Damien Chazelle. I'm like, I gotta see this. You yeah, know? That's interesting. 
So, um, yeah. So, a lot of possible awards contenders are already uh, re- starting to release their stuff. So, I oh, I interested. also I also just saw um, for the first, finally just saw everything everywhere all at once, and that movie is awesome. <laughs> I have it. I have it. It is really good. I that movie was awesome. Um, oh, and speaking of awards contenders, you did hear the early screenings of Avatar have been overwhelmingly positive. I guess. <laughs> Look, we're going to see it because that's what we do. But we don't yes. have to like it. <laughs> um, I mean, this coming... I mean, I, and I think we talked about probably like on our on our pilot episode of Force Perspective, I think we talked about Avatar for very briefly. Um, but uh, it was one of those... I like it, but could I have lived without a sequel? Sure, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the guy insisted on making one, and we finally got it, what, 12 years later, when you nobody know, asked I, for it. <laughs> you know what, though? I, I, um, I do kind of appreciate that. He just had an interview. I forget which one it was. Like, um where when he was making this movie, I guess people were, some studios were trying to talk to him about like the budget or, or trying to do other things. And he basically was like, I made Titanic and the first avatar. I, I know what I'm doing, you know? And basically like, <laughs> and basically like busted that out, like F off, like I'm better than you. Like, and I kind of respect that. I kind of respect, look, I got the two biggest movies of all time, like under my belt, like what have you done? <laughs> so I get it. Oh, oh, major, uh, major breaking news. I think I just found that on Wikipedia. So at the 2022 D23 Expo, Brian Henson stated that the full version of the film with the song Left Intact will be available on Disney Plus on December 11th, 2022. Oh, so then maybe someone else. I don't know how that person saw it then, but they, I, I saw that they they said that they saw it and the song was back. So, Which, by the way, the, uh, so the film was released December 11th, 1992. So that's uh, what thirty thirty anniversary this year. Yes, yeah, thirty years. So yeah. what what a perfect thirty anniversary gift right here. Making me do math. <laughs> just bring that on a guy. <clears throat> um, I'm trying. To, I was trying to like just look it up real quick to see if I could find it, but like my internet's not be, is being slow, and I don't want to screw up the recording. So, but anyway, um, yeah. So I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad to. Oh, this makes me very happy. Yeah, because you can. Because technically, so for those who don't know, when Love Is Gone uh, was uh, was not in the original theatrical cut, um, they 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 cut it for whatever reason, but they left it in the home video because and, they said kids would would not sit through a song like that. Yeah, that's exactly what they said. I mean, I paraphrase, but essentially that was the bullshit reason they gave for, for yeah. not putting that song in there. Um, yeah, so, and you know what, we can save like a longer discussion on that for the, for our next week's episode, but, um, suffice it to say, I'm glad it's back. I'm very happy it's back. All right. So, uh, that'll do it for us. Uh, again, can try to get that Christmas episode out as soon as you like shortly after you hear this episode and, um, and yeah, so. I hope everyone had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I hope everyone's having a, a good holiday season, whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. I hope this time of year is good for you. And we'll be talking to you next time for uh, Christmas Carol at the movies. Uh, until then, uh, just remember, buy physical media.
plant. Friend. <laughs>